welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. How many love you some Jesus this morning? Yeah? Amen. Um, if you're a visitor, welcome. It's good to have you guys today, uh, part of the Reliance family, and uh, we're passionate for, for, for Christ, and uh, uh, we're glad that you're here today. I hope that before all things, before you, I hope more than anything that you have an encounter with, hey, enjoy the sermon or kids ministry or whatever it is, I hope more than anything that you have an encounter with him. Uh, that's the greatest thing that we get to hear when people leave is, um, you know what, I have an encounter with him. So we're just glad you guys are here with that. Man, that's, that's the pinnacle of what we're after is can you have an encounter with him? So we're just glad you guys are here with us. I want to jump back into a, a sermon series we started a few weeks ago called Seeds of Revival. Seeds of Revival. We took a little two-week hiatus. We had baptisms two weeks ago. We baptized 18. Amen. That was awesome. That was revival. Uh, and then we, uh, last week, Jacob Hall, our youth pastor, brought the fire, right? Jacob Hall brought a word. If you missed it, you were gone on Labor Day. I want to encourage you, challenge you, force you, okay, to go to the podcast and listen to it. He gave a word on waiting on the Lord. And let me just tell you, it was one of the best words I've ever heard on waiting on the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to go and listen to that if you guys get a chance. Um, And so today I want to continue in this series called Seeds of Revival. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about gifts I want to talk about identity in Christ. There's so many things that I want to cover over the next few weeks. But today I am burdened. Somebody say burdened. I'm <laughs> burdened. I'm burdened by the gospel going out and us each in our own life becoming evangelists of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Like I, I have this burden in me for evangelism right now. And uh, the Lord keeps waking me up. Like sometimes I always envy people when they say things like, um, the Lord spoke to me. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, I wish the Lord, most of the time when the Lord speaks to me, it's, it's through the word. But there's some people who like get that dream vision and they kind of get woken up by the Lord. And I always envy that. I'll tell you something, the last three weeks, the Lord has kind of woken me up in, in different separate occasions, and I feel like he's speaking to my heart, and he keeps giving me the same word over and over and over again, and he keeps giving me the word prepare. Prepare. Now, I'm kind of a slow guy, all right? And so, for me, I'm like, cool, Lord, awesome, thanks for waking me up at 2 a.m. Got it, prepare. Don't know what that means. You know, if you, if you follow the Lord a lot, he's good at like little phrases, but not always understanding what those mean. You guys know what I mean? And he kind of expects you to dig in and, and press in a little bit to it. He doesn't just give, he wants you to seek out what that means. And so uh, I just kept hearing the word three weeks in a row, prepare, prepare, prepare. Now my first heart when I think about the word prepare is doom and gloom, amen? And so my first heart when I hear the word prepare is I go back, and I've shared this numerous times, I grew up in church my whole life, I go back to those kid camps when I was a kid or in youth group, and and they would show the 70s and 80s Left Behind series, right? And, and we would just have this time where we just sang about the love of God, and then they would show like this guy running across the bridge, everybody's trying to behead him because they're zombies, all right? And they're like, Jesus is coming back. And I'm like, wonderful. And then they'd say, okay, kids, go back to your cabins, go to bed. I'm like, I'm not leaving this place. That was like, when I hear the word prepare, that's the first thing I want to, God, what's going to, what's happening? And then as I'm just praying and kind of digging in, like with the word prepare, I hear the word urgency. So 
urgency, prepare, and the Lord's like just downloading, just kind of showing me. He's like, I'm not telling you, Aaron, to go stock up on toilet paper, amen? Can we covenant together that that's ludicrous, we'll never do that again? Can we make a covenant together? Like, he's not saying prepare, go stack up on toilet paper, go do this. Now, I'm not saying that preparation isn't good in those ways. But what I believe that he was speaking to my heart, he goes, there's an urgency to prepare yourself to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's an urgency. Now, I want you to hear me say this. This isn't when you have time. I feel like when he said the word prepare, it was like, ah, now, do it now. And I'll tell you, I don't know if the Lord's coming back a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, but I know this. Um, so many pastors and people, Christian leaders and just people that I know that are praying into things, that are working things out right now with the Lord, they're all feeling like this kind of anticipation in their spirit. I don't, I don't, it could be 10 years, I don't, I don't know. But there's this anticipation I just couldn't understand really. It's not like a fear. I want you to hear me say this. It's not a fear of going, Oh no, the Lord's coming back tomorrow. It's not a fear. And the best way to describe it is we were sitting in here on a Thursday morning for our Thursday morning prayer. We were in a circle. My sister-in-law, Bree, said these words. She said, um, the way that the Lord's kind of showing me of this anticipation is like, it's like a, 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 a wedding. It's, it's like the bride and the groom, and it's like the doors are beginning to open, and it's that, you know, it's that like, oh, it's, this is real. Am I, do, am I standing here? <laughs> Is this happening? Can I run? Like, right? And it's that anticipation in that moment. And I do a lot of weddings. And for whatever reason, that her saying that wrecked my heart in that moment. And it was like, that's it. It's not fear. I'm not fearing this thing. It's not preparation. Oh, Lord, I'm so nervous. It's not a fear. It's preparation of going, that's it. It's a picture that, that when, when you say, Please rise. The doors are about to open for the bride to come and, and walk down the aisle. And the groom is standing up there. And you see the, the bride's eyes. They're going to be wide open. And I love to stare at the groom. I don't know why, but I love to watch the groom because the biggest guys become the biggest babies. You guys know what I mean? Just sobbing. He's like, oh, dude, I'm good. I'm, <laughs> you know? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so I, that's how I feel about this. It's this anticipation that the Lord is at that place of going, please rise. And everybody's going, <gasps> amen? The anticipation, prepare. And, and so when the Lord shared this, man, the first thing that came to my mind was Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse one, it's the story, uh, parable of the bride, bridesmaids uh, that are waiting on the groom. And I'm just gonna read this real quickly. It says, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus gives this parable, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy. They fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by a shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. 
Some of you are going, awesome, Aaron, thank you for this great message this morning. I feel so comforted by that. This is light, right? Um, Here's what I want to say. I am burdened that this right now is our time. It's our time right now where we are going to fill our our jars of oil. We're going to fill our lamps of oil by going out and sharing our faith to the world. Like, I'm just burdened right now that this is what he's talking about. Like, this is the time where we make sure that everybody has a full uh, 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 lamp of oil. Amen? This is our time. And I'm going to tell you something, church. I believe this so much so. I grew up in small towns, and and so it was all bent around the harvest, right? Like, if you grew up in small towns, the whole town kind of revolves around the seasons of harvest. And you always knew when it was coming because the co-op was getting ready. All right, getting ready for the grain, and all the farmers were getting their equipment and stuff in tune, ready to go, and all it took was that first combine to go out, and it was like, this is time. And that's how I feel right now. I feel like there's this time where it's gonna take this first combine to go out, and there's just gonna be this wave of a harvest field that's gonna be harvest for the kingdom of God. And I feel so strongly that we're entering this right now, and that's why evangelism is on my heart. The spreading of the gospel through public preaching or personal witness is the definition of evangelism. The spreading of the gospel through public preaching, just getting up preaching, whatever, or what I like is the personal witness where you're sharing one-on-one who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. This is what evangelism is. And let me just kind of share my heart in this. I was listening to a sermon, listening to a message, and, and just kind of studying this week. And Matt Chandler kind of lays out the church of Ephesus, which I've always had a heart for the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus I've always admired. And if you study their beginnings, it's absolutely wild how they began. And, and I get asked the question all the time, like, you know, Aaron, what kind of church do you, do you want to be? What kind of church do you want to be? And, and they're talking about, like, in Revelation chapter 2 and on, there's talks about the seven churches and kind of different strategies of each one. And I've always been locked into the church of Ephesus. And I'm like, man, I, outside of a few mistakes that they made, I'm locked into the church of Ephesus. And so I want to talk about that today. In Revelation chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can open it up, verse 1. Jesus is speaking through the Apostle John uh, a series of letters to the seven churches in the ancient world. And these seven churches kind of served as like missionary bases that Paul would go, the gospel go out to the regions that Rome kind of inhabited. So you've got the Roman Empire being impacted really by these seven church bases. It was kind of centers of good news, if you want to call it that. And you get to the church of Ephesus, and what we see is that Jesus likes some things that he sees. Because Jesus is, this is a letter essentially from Christ, okay? John's pinning it, but it's from Jesus. And so you get to see in the church of Ephesus some things that Jesus likes, what, what he sees. And then there's this one thing that, that they've got to wrestle with, they've got to grapple with. Now this isn't going to be something new because we talk about Revelation 2 a lot. But I want to read this to you. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He's talking about Jesus. These aren't John's words. These aren't another man's words. These aren't just made up ideas. He says, the words, I want you to hear this again, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. I'm going to tell you right now, the only one who holds the seven stars in the right hand is Jesus. Amen? So he's talking about Jesus, and he says this. I know your works, 
your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for your namesake, and you have not grown weary. Look, look, he's like, well done, you've done some things good. Now, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from which you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you, remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, and he goes on to something else they do good. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen? And amen. So there's good things that are happening here. I want to break these down real quickly. There's a couple of couple things that are happening, they're good things. The first thing he says to the church is, you have patient endurance. You have patient endurance in your, he says this over and over, about three times. You have patient endurance, your work, you have patient endurance in your toil, you have patient endurance. You just keep going on. You don't give up. In other words, you see the bigger picture. You understand that victory is yours. Not will be, victory is yours. And you're just waiting on that day that I return. And Jesus is going, I like that, nicely done. I like your patient endurance. And let me just clarify something. When he says you have patient endurance in trials, you have patient enduring in your works, he's not saying you have patient endurance when somebody hurt your feelings on social media, right? He's saying when you're being killed and tortured and put in the Colosseums, when everything is being stripped from you, when your kids are ripped out of your house and sold into slavery, you're patient. You're patient and you're enduring. Not just endurance, you're patiently enduring. And Jesus is going, proud of you. You could have given up, you could have folded in, you could have said, I'm done, but you've got patient endurance. Well done, Church of Ephesus, great job. And then he says something else. He says, you spot false teaching. When somebody claims to be an apostle and they're not, you recognize it. In other words, what he's telling them, church, is you know the word. We're passionate for that. You know the word. You can tell when something's not of God and you can tell when something is of God. You know the word. And what I love about this, this is a big deal for us. We live in a day and age. Listen to me, this is important. We live in a day and age where we take bits and pieces of the, of the Bible, bits and pieces of the gospel, and we make new gospels out of it, which are not gospels at all, amen? I just listened to one the other day. I was listening to a guy talk about this and he says, I heard recently of this idea of the gospel that says, love is God. Love is God. Sounds good. Love is God. Love, 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 love. Love sounds good. Love is God. And he says, that's not what the Bible says. He says, the Bible says that God is love. Not love is God. God is love. Because if love is God, you'll base everything around love and not God. But if God is love, he defines what you base everything off of that's love. And if we're not careful, what we do is we take bits of the gospel that sound good and we try to create other gospels with that. And at the end of the day, those are not gospels at all. And so he tells the, the uh, church of Ephesus, he goes, you know when false teaching's coming in because you know the word. It can be very easy to create idolatry out of things that are not of God's word. The Bible says that God is love 
so he gets to define what that is. Amen, church? So this church is able to spot what is biblical and what is not. He even says in verse 6, yet this you have, yet this you have, and, and, he, and, he, and he's reiterating something he's passionate for. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is a big deal, okay? He doesn't say you hate them. He says you hate their works. I want you to hear that. You hate their works. Now, this is a big deal because the Nicolaitans were one who gave into culture. So essentially what he's trying to say is that you have stayed strong and fervent in your patient endurance to my word, and you have not allowed culture to bend you or break you. Now, listen to this. The Nicolaitans was a group of men and women. When I was studying this, listening to Matt Chandler on this, it was so good. He was, he was sharing how the Nicolaitans was a group of men and women in Ephesus. They had a temple, and I'm going to butcher the name, but it was a temple to a goddess, uh, Artemis. She's very popular. The people loved to go there. And just to be blunt, the way that they felt like was appropriate, even in God's eyes, to worship this goddess was they worshiped her through sexual rituals and temple prostitution. Well, keep this G for your kids in here. You can talk about prostitution with them later, all right? I'm gonna keep the, but, but rated G in this moment. Horrible things were happening at this temple in the name of worship. And culturally, culturally, they were all in. They were like, yes, this is okay. They're like, this, this is fine. In God's eyes, this would be absolutely fine. And so the church of Ephesus, radically changed by the gospel of Jesus, is going, no, it's not fine. Like, you missed it. There's a whole bunch of stuff that talks about sexual immorality in the Bible. You missed it. You're saying it's fine, but that's not God's heart. And, and Jesus is telling them in Revelation 2, well done for not giving in to the sexual deviancy of culture. Maybe just a smidge of that in our culture. We used to disguise it. We used to disguise it. You know, like, let's kind of bring it through this, this or whatever. Now we just wide open door, like, whatever. Just do whatever. So here he says, you did not give in to culture. He says, Jesus is going, nice job, guys. Well, well done. You know my word. You're, you're patiently enduring. You're not giving in to, to, to cultural pressure. You're keeping my word. And, and, and I want you to know our heart is, this is my heart. We love the word of God. We want to be formed by it, shaped by it. Amen. We love, we love it. And Jesus is going, man, I love that. I love that about you. And so it would be very easy at this point in time if you were the church of Ephesus to go, ha, nailed it. I mean, if you want to model us, you're more than welcome to. But there's something that he says in verse 4 that should absolutely grip our hearts. And here's what he says. He says, oh, by the way, here's a warning for you. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember therefore from which you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you, remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This should cause us to pause in attention because Jesus is saying, I love that you're enduring, I love that you don't grow weary, I love that you know my word, I love that you don't line up with culture, but rather transforming culture, I love that about you. But here's the problem, you're doing those things and you don't love me. You don't love me. This, this is what he's saying. He's like, you're doing these things. Well done. I'm so excited. But there's a problem. They're rooted in you, and they're not rooted in me. 
You're doing everything that looks right, but I'm not the center of your life. You are the center of your life. You've become about yourself. And all of a sudden, we've just gone from looking good and looking the part to missing the whole. Amen, church? Are we good? I like what uh, uh, the quote that, that, that Chandler says. He says this. So you can have, according to the Bible, a church that pursues doctrinal purity, the Bible, that patiently endures and even bucks up against the wind of culture and yet is devoid of the presence and power of Jesus. Listen to me, this is so important in our day. You, you can have a church that has, looks, every, everything, look, you come in, you're like, oh, it looks so good, well done but can be void of the power and the presence of Jesus. Let me tell you about the church of Ephesus. It was born in Acts chapter 18 and 19. Paul's missionary journeys there. By the time Revelation 2 was written about them, they're about 60 years old, so they've had 60 years of the gospel coming in and shaping them and forming them. And so along the journey, they looked the part, they were well put together, but somewhere, somewhere in there, 60 years in there, when they were radical, they were wild, they were on fire, in that 60-year period, something happened, and, and they began to lose their love for Jesus. And Jesus always gives us the right answer to get back on track. And let me just say this to you. I can tell you in my 40-plus years of just being alive on planet Earth, I go through seasons where I'm just like, yes, fervent, passionate, love you, and go through seasons where I'm like, don't really remember who you are. So I'm not so far, my life, not so far removed from this. Ephesus, the church of Ephesus was born, listen to me, this is so cool. I love, I love this history. The church of Ephesus was born out of this radical, supernatural, crazy, everything that would make us uncomfortable way. <laughs> It was like the Dodge City of Kansas, all right? Like it, it, it was radical. There was anything goes in Ephesus. Anything goes in Ephesus. And so Paul says, I'm gonna show up, and I'm gonna preach the gospel. So he shows up, starts preaching in the synagogues and starts preaching in the temples, not well received. They, 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 they don't like him, they want him gone. Stop messing with our way of life. Paul gets upset, fed up, so he goes and he finds a bunch of men and women, and, and I believe they were from the broken places, they were from the places who felt like they had no worth, no value, and they're hungry for more, and Paul starts preaching the message of Jesus Christ to them. I believe this would be your Samaritan woman at the well. This would be your Zacchaeus who feels like he has no wealth, or, or, or no, uh, no friends, no life, no worth. This would be what Jesus was doing throughout the Gospels. He's preaching to those men and women who are broken, they just don't know it, and they're getting radically changed by the Gospel. It's wild. They're getting radically changed by the Gospel. And, and there's a power that's happening as Paul's preaching. He's not just preaching with words, but the Bible says with a demonstration of power. Driving out demons and, and, and healing sick, like laying the hands on the sick and healing, healing their sicknesses. Like, right? This is happening, and so the gospel is going gangbusters in Ephesus. 
It's just going crazy. The whole socioeconomic status in Ephesus is being wrecked. Where they were once making money on their idols and once making money on their temple prostitutes, where they were once making money on sinful game, all of a sudden, people are getting that turned upside down and so people are getting ticked because they're going, we're not making money off of this anymore because people are going, we don't want that anymore. That's what you imagine a movement of the gospel so powerful in our area where all of a sudden that money made off of sinful gain is shutting down. <laughs> Nobody's going to the strip clubs anymore, amen? Nobody's finding prostitutes on the street anymore. Nobody's going to the drug houses. The gospel's being preached with such fervency and demonstration of power through the Holy Spirit that all of a sudden the places where sinful gain was being made is being shut down. Not because some government comes and it shuts it down, but because people are going, we don't want it anymore. Our hearts are changed. We, don't, we found what we want. This is real stuff. Read Acts chapter 18. Read Acts chapter 19. Paul's casting out demons and healing the sick, uh, and the church of Ephesus is, is full on getting wrecked. <laughs> people are going, holy smokes, is this real? And here's what we read in Acts 19, 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them. And the name of the Lord was extolled. Somebody say extolled. Praised, honored, enthusiastically. And so many of those who were now believers, listen to this church, Confessing, came confessing and divulging their practices. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all. They were practicing witchcraft. They were having a, a book burning of their witchcraft books. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Wealthy, wealthy, well, I mean, this is tons and tons and tons and tons of money. And they're like, we don't care, burn it. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So, so what does this mean for us? Jesus tells in Revelation 2, he says, look, great love, you don't love me well, enduring, know the word, all that stuff. Go, you've forsaken your first love, you don't love me, go back and do the things at first. Well, what were the things at first? He goes, go back to the days where you were wild, <laughs> where things were happening. You didn't tame down the gospel. You didn't hide behind four walls and be like, hey, Sunday morning, that's our gospel time. He's like, go back to the moment where every single day the gospel wrecked your life and you went out to the streets and you brought people in who were addicts and you brought people in who were prostitutes and you brought people in that needed the hope of Jesus Christ. Go back to your wild days. How many of you guys want to go back to Dodge City? Amen? In this one, okay, that's a bad analogy. All right, we don't want to go back to Dodge City. This is what he's saying. Go back when this thing was not tame any longer, but it was real. And the power of the presence of God was real. L listen, the first thing it says, he goes back and he's describing in book of Acts what they experienced in these first encounters. And the first thing that he says is, the name of Jesus is extolled. Praised, honored. The, the, the word extolled means to praise enthusiastically, to, to not just kind of be captivated a, a little bit, but consumed with Jesus. Running around extolling his name everywhere. The way I pictured it is you come out with your coffee in the morning, you wave to your neighbor, he says, good morning, and you go, Jesus is good, neighbor, right? 
You go out and you're at the gas station, somebody filling up your car and somebody goes, beautiful day, isn't it? Jesus made a beautiful day. Like you can't get his name out of your mind, amen? You're extolling his name. Something is so real, so tangible about him, you can't get him out of your mind. It's a group of men and women that could not stop rejoicing and praising the goodness of Jesus in their hearts and in their lives. I want to extol him, church, amen? Okay, number two, real quickly. I, I know we're, we're gonna crunch time here. The, the second thing he says, they were divulging and confessing their practices. L listen to what that means. This was not a tidy church, amen? This was a messy church. People were being saved from some messed up things. They were being saved out of temple prostitution, idolatry, witchcraft, and they're confessing, we don't want this anymore. And they're bringing their idolatry and they're bringing their witchcraft and they're, they're having this public kind of square moment where all of Ephesus is watching the ones who made money off of them and they're throwing it all into the fire going, we don't want it anymore. God has radically changed our life. Let me just say, when this is happening, I'm sure it's blowing people's minds. <laughs> like I know right now in this room, the greatest thing that we can experience is all of a sudden you got the suit and tie guy sitting right next to the tatted up guy all the way with more piercings than you can count. That's the gospel, amen? You've got this mixture of people all doing life together that normally wouldn't do life together. Why? Because when you start to share the gospel and you believe in evangelism, it's going to be messy. It's gonna be messy. And then the last thing, uh, it's not really the last thing, but it will maybe make it the last thing, is he says the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. When the gospel lands, listen to me, this is so important, when the gospel lands, we're seeing even the power of Satan broken, the victory of Jesus take root. Yeah? And men and women, they're being transformed by the gospel. Let me tell you what I think this means. It means that we don't have believers with head down, kind of meandering around like, I just, I live, you know, I'm just not sure with the Lord, and there's just kind of this fear over me. You see something happen when the gospel lands, and a boldness comes over your shyness, and a boldness comes over your life, and all of a sudden what happens is you're confident, not because of who you are, you're confident because of who lives inside of you, Something radically changes your life. You're a Peter moment where I'm running from the Lord, hiding behind things too. I'm standing up and boldly proclaiming the gospel. Something happens in that moment where you're being transformed and you're working from victory, amen? From victory, not victory later, victory now. And so it's gonna be messy, but this is so, so, so what we want, church. And we use this term a few times in here, but we have to start to learn to embrace the awkwardness. Amen? We have to learn to embrace, like you're gonna, you're, you're gonna go up and you're gonna share the gospel with somebody, you're gonna tell somebody that God loves them, you're gonna say, I got a word for you, and you're gonna say, I just want you to know, the Lord was just saying to me, like no matter how tired you are, whatever, whatever the word the Lord gives you is, is that the Lord wants to strengthen you, and they may go, okay. And it's gonna be super awkward, and you go, Hey, Jesus loves you. And in that moment, you have no idea. They may go home and just like, nobody's ever told me the Lord loves me. Or in that moment, they may chase you down and go, tell me more, tell me more. Or in that moment, they may give you the bird, but it doesn't really matter. Because at the end of the day, you did your job, and the gospel will do its job. Amen? 
You did your job and the gospel will do its job. So real quickly, let me just tell you, it is going to be messy. I remember, just real quick story. Grew up, pa- pastor's kid, remember me, my two brothers, the so three boys, my dad and my mom, okay? I remember as a kid, small town, I remember waking up so many times our house, 10 years old. I remember waking up and we had a spare bedroom and it was, somebody was always like in the middle of the night, somehow, I had no idea, somebody was always like there because my dad had such a heart for evangelism. The people would come, or he would find them, and he would bring them into our household, and we would, it, would, it would be messy, but he would bring them into our household. I'll never forget, there's a guy, he, we, we called him Stan the Indian Man. He was a Native American, jacked. I mean, this guy was jacked, huge, massive. I just remember looking at him going, I would never want to tangle with that guy, all right? His whole life, Stan's whole life, was going in and out of bars. He was a ma- major alcoholic. He was going in and out of bars, and his whole goal was how many fights he could get into at the bars and how many people he could hurt. That was his life. And, and something happened in that moment, and, and, and my dad somehow met him, and dad, my dad has a heart for evangelism, starts sharing the gospel with him. And all I do is I remember waking up one morning, I'm like 10 years old, in the kitchen going, there's a very large man in our house. And I remember watching Stan, and I remember what he told us, stories about going into bars and fighting. And I remember as a little boy going, I want to be a bar fighter. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I remember watching him and, and seeing this huge guy just begin softer and softer and softer by the love of Christ. This guy that was just raging alcoholic, softer and softer and softer and softer and softer. He's going to kids' camps. He's, going to, he's throwing up like, like TP, showing kids how to make. I mean, this guy just like gets, just changed. Couldn't tell you where he's at today. But I know in that moment, the gospel wrecked his life. It's gonna be messy. I remember knock on the door, 2 a.m., vividly remember this. Knock on the door, 2 a.m., young lady, She's in high school, I was in middle school. I remember her from school. Knocks on the door, she just tried to jump off a bridge and kill herself. And she failed, praise the Lord. The police bring her in small towns, they bring her to the pastor's house. Brought her to, and I remember for two, three hours, my mom and dad just pouring into her life. Who she is. It's gonna be messy, yeah? It's going to be messy. It's going to be wild. And Jesus says, don't lose the mess and the wildness. Go back and do the things that you did at first when it was messy and wild. Okay. Let me just say this. John 4.34, I listened to this testimony of a a man and a woman. They were being interviewed on this particular message that I was listening to. John 4.34 says that the disciples were trying to get Jesus. And it says fasting and praying, and he just was doing his thing, and they were trying to get Jesus to eat. And it says Jesus said to his disciples that his food... His food is to do the will of the Father and to accomplish his purposes. And this guy was being interviewed and he said that this has just really struck him because he said he had this insatiable hunger for a long time for the Lord. He said, I wanted to know Jesus more and more and more. And so I've been taught that if you want to know Jesus, you just got to read your Bible more. 
You want to know Jesus, you got to read your Bible more. He said, I'd spend long periods of hours just studying the Word, 10 chapters a day and books and listening to podcasts over and over and over. I, would just, I was just hungering. I wanted to know Jesus. This is what I was told to do. And then he said, the thing is, I was still hungry. I felt like I was starving to death and I felt like I wasn't growing. No matter how much I dove in, I just felt like I wasn't growing and I was just really struck by the fact that Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. And he said, I'd always thought that pulling away and having my quiet time, that's where I'm feeding myself. And then what I'm doing is then I'm just exercising. I'm just, at some point in time, I gotta exercise that. And he says, but now I think it's the other way around. I think that my doing is actually beginning to feast at the table of the Lord. What I found was all of the study I had done up to that point began to make sense when I started engaging in it in everyday life. Let me put it to you in these terms. Just engage with people. Take what hope you have in Jesus. You don't have to be all knowledgeable. Study the Bible. You should. Read the Bible. Pray. Make it your daily, daily, daily thing that you do. But let me just tell you, if you don't know it all, it's okay. God will still use you. Talk with people. People want to hear hope. People want to know that their life matters. You have no idea what a few words can do in somebody's life. You have no idea what a few words can do in somebody's life. A quote that I read says, if you're bored with your faith, chances are God is bored with your faith too. We have a calling here for reliance, and I believe it's for every church, but I'm just, you're here, so I'm gonna give you my heart in this. We have a calling here that you come into this place, get filled up with the love and power and presence of Jesus, filled up with Holy Spirit, and that you are the deliverers of the gospel every single day. We call ourselves this equipping center. Why? Because we want to come in, be filled up with Jesus so that we go out and believe it. We want an Ephesus experience where it's wild, but what we don't want to do is get 60 years down the road and go, hey, good job on a few things, Reliance. Awesome job, you've got some things put together. It looks pretty snazzy, but let me tell you where you missed the mark. You've forsaken your first love. Okay, let's pray. You guys close your eyes. Let's challenge you with something this morning. I'm gonna ask you to participate if this is you. I have such a burden that this is a season of preparation I have such a burden that this is a season of urgency and preparation. And again, I'm not talking about storing up, you know, stuff that, that, that's in your pantry. If you want to do it, that's awesome. And I'm all for that. But I'm talking about there's preparation for a harvest that's coming. And if you know in your heart that this is birthing in you as well, but you have fear, if you have fear, if you, if you don't, if what's kind of gripping your heart is, man, I do not want to be rejected by people. If what's gripping your heart right now is I don't have enough wisdom in the word to know what to say, 
If you've got something that's keeping you from talking about this Ephesus wild encounter, I'm gonna ask you, would you stand up so that we can pray over you today? Just eyes closed, but if there's something holding you back from this boldness encounter with the Lord, I specifically feel in my heart, I wanna pray over you today. If you know, like God, you're calling me to the front lines, and I believe it's everybody, by the way, but if you know there's something burning in you, but there's something holding you back, I wanna pray specifically over you today. Because I want you to know that more than anything, when you say, man, I'm fearful of rejection, the Lord says, remember, but if they're rejecting you, they first rejected me. If you're fearful of not knowing enough, remember what the Lord says. He says that it's not about you, it's about me and what I do in and through you. So I want to pray this over us today. So see for the gospel to go forth. People standing up all over the room this morning that have this fervency for the gospel to go forth. And those that are sitting, God, same thing. Father, I'm praying for a supernatural boldness right now. God, I'm asking for those, God, that are standing, that just receive Jesus, that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit of their life, that we'd break fear, break rejection, Father, that you would release, God, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that is not of themselves. I'm praying, God, for those that are sitting right now that are saying the same thing, like, I want that too. God, would you bring it over this place heavy? Let us... God, God, let us fellowship with your heart and your mind. So God, we pray that the gospel would be released in the name of Jesus, and that right now, God, preparation, urgency is stirring in our hearts. Receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We got Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.